Empire of the Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hello, Kevin. What's happening? We're still here without news, but hey, I'm okay with that. I have some big news for you. Oh, what? I'm watching Andor right now. Oh, finally. It's pretty good. Um, It takes a while, but I I just watched uh, the episode called The Eye, the one where like the big mission that it leads up to happens, and Pretty good episode of television. They kind of know what they're doing. It's good stuff. I'll say it gets better. I think. Kevin, avid Star Wars fan, for those of you newish to the podcast and haven't been around for the references and such, I've been telling him I'm going to watch Andor for like two years, and I I think it came out last year. That's how long I've been telling him. I'll I'll watch it without watching it. But here I am, uh, just a nerd, excited to go see Spider-Verse tonight. You a Spider-Verse fam this weekend with the kid? I'm not. I'm not a movie person with a kid yet. I'm not there. Oh, yeah. that, that it, Probably a little too early, to be fair. Probably a little bit too early. Me on the inexperienced parent front. Not, <laughs> not aware. A lot of parents listening are like, of course, he's not taking his his child that young to the uh, movie theaters. Uh, you know who's not going to the movie theaters yet? <laughs> I said, coach, because we don't know who it is yet. We don't know who it is yet. Um, last episode, if you did not listen, we kind of went over the, for lack of a better phrase, wording, whatever, um, charade, I guess, that reporting has been in the last week and a half, and just how we have information, but there is important context missing from all, all of this reporting, and there is improper wording for all of this reporting. So it's really tough to, even for people like us who have been, doing this for years and the thing that i said last week is that part of being an nba fan now is learning how to dissect reporting these days and even uh, you and i are pretty stumped at this point but here we are the suns do not have a head coach yet we are recording this on thursday afternoon so we'll see where we go but uh, kevin at this time last week uh, our own John Gamadora, who has been on top of this head coaching search more than anyone else in the, in the news cycle, was saying how it was important to the team, and there is just a um, there is just a consensus and a known thing around the league that they don't like it if you drop news during the finals, and it's it's better off for you to not do it during the finals. Like the league just doesn't like that, so you don't want to make the league uh, unhappy. So everything kind of led us to believe in terms of the way the timing was working out as well, that the team would hire a head coach by now, or at least the report would get out and then they would unveil them next week or whatever. Right. But here we are. It has now been 19 days since Monty has been fired and we do not have a head coach. And Gambo is reporting that maybe the end of this week, potentially going into next week is when we'll find out. And I I'm just stumped as to why it is uh, taking so long, to be honest. I I don't really have a good answer as to why. Uh, We know from Gambo that the three finalists right now, I I don't know if they're 
finalists is the right word to use again like the wording here i don't know what we're allowed to say what we're not allowed to say in terms of the reporting on it uh frank vogel doc rivers and kevin young uh nick nurse was one of the candidates we heard uh then he went to the sixers adrian wojnarowski's story reported that uh woj uh nurse's agent was engaged in conversations with both the Suns and the Sixers. And then that turn of wording was, inc- was immediately looped into nurse picked the Sixers over the Suns, which I don't think Woj explicitly said anywhere, but he was more or less saying that again, that we're in a weird charade right now. Um, well, that, that specifically could have just like the easy explanation there is the agent was like, Hey, what would your terms be? if you wanted this guy or what are the terms for the eventual hire? Yeah. And if they just said like, whoever we hire, we're doing five years at this amount or whatever, maybe he's just like, Hey, Sixers, the Suns are going to pay this much. Um, They really should have engaged the Detroit Pistons. Honestly, if we look at where this conversation is going, but anyway, continue. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, they, they they should have. And we're going to talk, we, we're going to talk about Monty here in a bit, which is going to be most of our conversation in Detroit. And then we're going to talk a little bit of NBA finals at the end here. Uh, But to continue on the latest updating in terms of the timeline here, uh, Gamble comes out and just says, it's not true. The Suns never offered the job to, uh, to nurse, which I don't think is what Woj was reporting anyway. So it's not entirely clear what happened here, but basically Kevin, we are going to go into speculative season here and we are going to speculate for ourselves. What is happening? Cause we're at that stage in the news cycle now where we just have to speculate. I think there are three possibilities here. Possibility. Number one, they just don't know yet who they want to hire. And you can, we can talk about if that's a good thing or a bad thing after a round of interviews, a round and a half of interviews. What we don't know right now is if there are more interviews happening right now. Is there a second round of interviews happening right now? Don't know. I speculated last week that what I thought was happening based on using my own ability to read into all the reporting, the thing we were talking about earlier, is that they did their first round of reporting last week. They established their finalists, and then they were going to do the Michigan interviews this week where the uh, report that Shams had two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, about uh, all these finalists going to Michigan to meet with Ishbia, James Jones, and all this kind of stuff. I I think that's what's happening this week. That would be my guess, but we haven't seen that reported anywhere, which is just weird because we've had a lot of information come out, especially at the end of last week, on interviews, when they're happening, where they're happening, all this kind of stuff. But it's been radio silence on that front for the last couple of days. So <clears throat> three things are happening. One, they don't know who they're going to hire yet, and they're doing more interviews. Two, Nurse was their guy, and they are scrambling to figure out who they want. Three, they're still holding out hope for another option like Ty Lue. Which do you think is the most likely to be happening right now, and which do you think is happening? I think your first option where they're just talking it out is probably it. I mean, maybe I'm just thinking too simplistically, and I don't want to be dramatic. Um. And I guess that could be tied to Nurse being their guy too, but I don't know. I There is part of me in a search for any job where, like, you just get vibes, right? You, like, have your list. You look at a resume. Maybe someone blows away the interview process. But, I mean, I'm only one person, and I, I feel like I pick up on vibes 
12 people. And so if you have like an on a resume and then you interview someone, I think by that point, it should be pretty clear. So in that part, I guess in the back of my head, there's like, okay, they're waiting for Tyloo or someone else. They're trying to convince someone like who, like Terry Stotts is just an example of a name who like, are they waiting for him to be like, I guess I'll get into coaching. Cause like the Pistons just waited out Monty and that turned out well for them. I think like we can argue about the contract later, but I don't know. I, I'm not terribly like, I don't think anyone should be terribly feeling really bad about this. Cause I think once you decide to fire Monty, like it's a risk, right? We already talked about all that, but I think it's good. They're taking their time looking at their options. Um, and I think that, like just for perspective, remember this team once hired someone and admitted we didn't interview anyone else, which labor laws, I don't even know how that was legal, but that's beside the point. I'm I'm not like put off by like this process. I'm just like everyone else, very curious about why. And I don't have a good answer for you, I guess, is my very brief summation after I rambled. No, sure. Uh, you, you are, uh, I think I'm behind now on the podcast leaderboards i have a 76 hour lead on rambling compared to you so you've earned your ramble time and that wasn't even a ramble in my opinion to be honest i don't think it's a good thing or a bad thing kevin but my guess is it's something changed that's just my uneducated guess and by uneducated i mean i don't have reporting or sources or or anything on this but just knowing how these things work knowing the pattern of timing and just how rapidly we went from, yeah, they got to get this done before the finals to, oh, it can run into the finals. It doesn't matter. Uh, I think something changed. I don't know if it was Nurse was their guy or not. I don't know if it was they were going to hire Young or Vogel or Rivers and they're having second opinions about it. Or I don't know if it is that they still think that there's a shot they could get Ty Lue and they're waiting on something to finish developing in LA with the Clippers. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I think that something changed because at this point now, I think I think something to understand is I I think you go into a head coaching search with an open mind for sure, but you already have not the decision made, but you have a really good idea of who you want to hire. Um, and, and a recent example of this and something we're going to get into, Kevin, is Detroit essentially did a even bigger version of what the Suns did. They interviewed nearly a dozen candidates. I don't even know if the Suns have interviewed that many people for this job, to be honest. They interviewed over a, nearly a dozen candidates. Two weeks passed through all of that, and then they all met together. And then the owner was like, what about Monty? Uh, and the story there is Monty, from what it sounds like, didn't take an interview and was telling teams he's probably going to take a year off. But then they circled back to Monty because, well, the thing about that, Kevin, is if they would have been thrilled with Kevin Ollie or someone else, you know, they probably would have never circled back to Monty. But they weren't at a point where they felt like they found their head coach yet. So they went back to Monty and were more aggressive with their approach on him in terms of just they from the reporting from James Edwards and Sham Sharania. They initially reached out to him very quickly and aggressively once he was fired and, and saw what was up with him. But then he let them know that, and then they kind of backed off and respected that. But then they came back this time and said, here's what a salary would look like. Here's what our plan is for the roster. And then he starts to be a little more receptive to it. The owner uh, sends a jet 
out to get Monty. Monty goes to LA to meet with the owner. The next day, he gets more terms in front of him, which were incredibly lucrative and very difficult for pretty much anyone to turn down in this situation, which we'll get to in more in a bit. But that is an example of how something changed for Detroit. They were two weeks into the process. They were at the, they were having their meeting. It sounds like where they were trying to figure out who their guy is and they decided they didn't have a guy. And I think that's where we're at with the Suns. I don't think that they, one, know exactly who they're going to be, be with, or two, they're still looking at other options. I think the way that Luke, uh, Wolf and Luke put it today was like, is there a mystery candidate right now outside of these three guys? I think there's a decent chance that there is right now. Now, why wouldn't it be reported? I don't know, but here we are. We're waiting. Yeah, the the money thing is very much like a good example of these guys go through so much. If it's someone who is not on the radar and put themselves not on the radar or the Suns didn't think of them, but maybe they see this as like, oh, I get to coach Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Um, just someone we're not thinking about. Do they go crazy and go interview someone overseas who we don't even have a clue about? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, I don't think it's worth sweating about after you get over the fact that they fired a good coach. Um, this is going to be a risk no matter who they hire, I think. And that's, that's why that move was risky for me. And I'm, I think it's worth taking your time on it and more time spent thinking about it. I think you come to good conclusions. And even if that ends up being like, I think we've oscillated or fans, at least from my viewpoint, oscillate between like, Oh, this time has passed. I guess it's Kevin young to, Oh, is that, is it going to be doc? Like I, you pointed out on Twitter, the, the money hiring with Detroit, is that going to, take a staff or guys who could be on a Kevin Young staff away from the Suns, So there are just a lot of moving parts and just time changes everything, I think. And that's, what's fascinating about this, right? Is okay. We're, we're at the NBA final start tonight. Are you guys going to do something? Um, I don't know. What do you, do you have a timeline or a feel of like when you think something will happen? Cause at this point it's like, I think something would have happened, but there's obviously stuff going behind the scenes, um, going on behind the scenes that we don't really know about. No, because if let's say uh, it's theory three and they're waiting on Ty Lue stuff, they aren't really competing with anyone else. Like no one else is interviewing Kevin Young right now no one else is like going after these other candidates from what I can collect right now. Right. I think we're at the point now where everyone has hired their coach, except for the Suns. Is there, is there another team left? Am I blanking on someone right now? I don't think so. I don't believe so. And like, I, I saw, <laughs> I saw Kerr randomly thrown out there and that doesn't make sense to me. I, he's going to stay in golden state as long as Steph does. Like, I think that just makes sense. Yeah. For, for what they're doing over there. Maybe they want to really interview. Maybe they're 50-50 on Kevin Young and like a, an assistant from Miami or Denver, I guess. I guess Maybe. you could today, like um, Brad Stevens had to go out and say like Joe Mazzulla is our next head coach. That's the only like recent update that kind of sealed anything. But uh, beyond that, yeah, I don't know. So there's our son's update uh, briefly interrupted by me struggling to click on my unmute button right there. <laughs> Apologies for that four second delay, everyone. 
Let's talk about Monty Williams to Detroit, man. Uh, there are plenty of ways to go about this. Uh, we we already kind of let you know there what happened exactly. Uh, we talked about it last week. I wouldn't be surprised if he took a year off. I wouldn't be surprised if he took multiple years off. Uh, but uh, Kevin, they gave him a contract that I don't think it's fair for us to sit here and be like, oh my gosh, he got $12 million a year when we aren't exactly aware of what other salaries look like in relation. But I mean, you even compare it to the other salary figure we've got from Monty, which is he was coming off an incredible, incredible start uh, to his coaching. Uh, so his three-year run before he got his extension with the Suns, uh, the bubble run, which is is a lot less uh, of a thing to list on the resume until he makes the finals. And then he wins coach of the year after that. That was his three-year run. Uh, and then he gets a an extension, which we know amounts to about $7 million a year. Uh, he is going to get nearly 13 a year. <laughs> the Pistons, Kevin, they nearly doubled his salary. Uh, it is a six-year deal worth $78.5 million. That's according to Shams. That's according to Woj, uh, James Edwards of The Athletic as well, who covers the Pistons for them. There are uh, incentives laced into this. Vincent Goodwill from Yahoo first had this where the deal could exceed over $100 million. And on top of that, the club has team options for the seventh and eighth year. Uh, so it is the year 2023, Kevin. That t- contract could run through 2031. <laughs> I will be in my 40s if that contract runs through, Kevin. What in the world? Uh, it, it feels crazy. Um but again, I I just don't have enough familiarity and, and a lot of us don't have enough familiarity with how coaching contracts work, but it just feels like a, a lot. And the, the point that I'll make here before I pass it to you and we can more break down the basketball stuff, which is more interesting, is I compare it to the Rudy Gobert trade. And I think that if anyone gets compared to Rudy Gobert, it's an insult these days. And I do not mean it as an insult. What I mean is Rudy Gobert is a really good basketball player but you need just about the perfect cast around him in order to get the most out of him. Like Utah did to a certain extent, Minnesota tried it day one without really having a point guard, which was a terrible idea. And then Mike Conley got there and we saw the two of them. We're like, Oh yeah, that's how you maximize Rudy Gobert a bit. And then we saw him playing without another big for a lot of the season. We're like, yeah, that's, that's kind of how you do it as well. Um, But the, the price that they gave up for four unprotected first round picks for him the the it just changed the uh market completely and now what's going to happen is it it's funny because the suns do get a, a bit of a benefit here because gambo reported this morning that there's an offset in there so the rules do apply to where denver or, uh sorry detroit is essentially paying off that three-year 21 mil from what i understand at least and that benefits the suns but at the same time now the price just went up for the coach that the Suns are going to hire. And I remember people at the time saying that about the Gobert trade and being like, ah, I don't know. Like it's, it's it, I, I don't know if it changes. Like how doesn't it, how doesn't this like change what the market is, especially with how well known it is. And this is the same kind of thing. So now when it, extensions are coming up for like Michael Malone and Eric Spolster and some of the really top three, four five coaches in the league, it's really going to get there. My whole point of the comparison is Monty is a really good head coach. Like I would say that he's somewhere between a top 10, top 12 coach in the league right now, but him getting that amount of money, which makes him the highest paid coach in the league. Now, according to those who have that kind of stuff in front of them, 
I it's it's just going to change the game completely, and it's really fascinating. Like this, like I, Mike Vigil was making CBA jokes the other night, but I think that's going to be a thing. Like they're going to have to figure out how to contain this with the amount of money that's about to get spent on coaches. What's crazy about that is this also depends on how quickly he can turn this around, right? Like obviously, it's probably going to impact how negotiations go with the Suns coaching search right now. So sorry for that, Matt Ishbia, but you also created this problem by firing him. Um, but like, I'm looking at, and we, we can get into the basketball stuff if you want, but like that team has a lot of room for change. And I mean that in good and bad ways where if they just roll out the same team, like they have a lot of guys under contract for this coming season. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to go great. Like it's going to be ugly at first. I think, I don't think it's going to be great, but they have a lot of potential to just move some of their guys, like their top three contracts, for example. I don't know how doable that is with some of these guys, but they have room to free tons of cap space even before the draft, just dump some of these prospects if they feel like dumping them um, and freeing up money or, you know, rolling with it and then hoping you can do that, you know, trade deadline or before the trade deadline. But that's what's fascinating about this situation is um, like the Suns, it is very similar to when the Suns uh, brought Monty on, right? Like they had to do a lot of moving pieces to set him up for success and get his guys in. Like from everything I've read about, like Kate Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, who are the two guys I'm looking at as far as they're going to dictate where this goes. Like they have work ethic, all that good stuff. Monty will get that out of them more. Um, but they can't do it alone. They need more talent on that team. They need like the Ricky Rubio, Aaron Baines types to really, um, quicken the pace of how that team does with money, with money in charge of the first year. So like, I, I believe in him doing that, but kind of to your point of you need to get the right guys that fit him. And if you don't, and if they're not out there, not enough of them are out there. Um, then next coaching cycle, that contract is just going to be a laughing stock. Like, what are you doing? And it's going to not matter. But if they do do it and they start looking good immediately off the bat, like competent basketball, um, then that's going to hold up beyond this year too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm with you. And I think it's important to kind of lay this out. Cause I think what's going to happen is I think I had like one person even tweeted me, like you should write about like how this is going to be a finals preview for 2024. And I, I, I'm sure they were joking to some extent, but I think that I, I did see a lot of like, yeah, Monty's going to turn that around, turn it around quickly. And we'll get to the roster here in a bit, but I think this is more of a two to three year period where he has to build this up and then they'll actually be in a position where they are making the playoffs and have a chance to win um, in the playoffs. I think that's the thing a lot of people forget about the bubble rise is that the bubble year was still a year where they were they went they won out to finish the year to get to those 33 wins you know like they were still in a pretty rough spot that first year and then in the second year we were picking them to finish what top three four five in the west if we were being entirely like entirely optimistic i think more towards three and then they make the finals so this team is not quite positioned to make that quick of a rise i think another thing to realize is that 
I don't want to get into comparing Cade to book and, and the talent level and like the potential and all that kind of stuff. But book was heading into year five. Monty got him. His first year was his fifth year. Cade's coming into his third year and he missed almost his whole second season due to injury. Yeah. Jaden Ivey is coming off his rookie year. Jalen Duren is coming off his rookie year. Like it's going to be more about um, once the second contract hits for Cade Cunningham, once Cade's I think in his fourth year, I think that's when you can start to realistically paint expectations of like, okay, 38, 40, 42 wins. I think going into this year for them, it's going to be more about what we talked about going into the bubble year, which is can you be competitive every night, nearly every night? They won 17 games last year. A lot of that was due to Cade getting hurt, um, but they won 17 games last year. They probably win like at least a half dozen more with him, but they would still would have been one of the worst teams in the league. So going into next year, it's like, okay, can you win 28? Can you win 32? Can you get in that kind of range? And then I think the year-to-year bump there, uh, the, the Chris Paul acquisition helped Kevin, and I think they're going to look for that type of Chris Paul-esque uh, acquire, uh, acquiring in terms of not a player of Chris Paul's caliber necessarily, but are we in a position with the salaries that we have and the draft capital that we have and the money that we have and all this kind of different stuff, are we in a position where we can take a contract or two and go get a pretty good player who is not necessarily well-received right now? The, the the name that immediately came to mind for me, especially with the log jam situation that they're, they're uh, dealing with that we can talk about is it was John Collins for me. Uh, I know that Monty has always been a too big guy by trade, uh, especially with the start of uh, last year. And I think that it's clear that Duran is the guy. Um, if you're not exactly familiar, Cade could make all NBA next year. I think Cade is phenomenal. Uh, I was, I haven't, I didn't watch much Pistons ball this year. So I wasn't able to watch someone like Jay Ivey, who I loved in the draft. Longtime listeners will know Duran. I didn't really like, and he's turned out to be terrific. Uh, I, I was reading Edwards earlier this morning what he was writing about them. And basically Jaden just really improved over the second half of the year. And Duran really just showed that he can absolutely thrive with the, uh, the Aiden package, if you will, offensively where screen dive hard, crash the glass. He averaged three and a half offensive rebounds a game. That was a top five number in the league. And he went as far as to say, like they have three guys with all-star potential. And, and I agree with that, especially with what I saw from Duran. I felt that way about Ivy and Cunningham heading into the year anyway, but you've got those three guys as your pillars, as your foundation, like who can you put around them? So can you trade Marvin Bagley, 12 and a half million Wiseman at 12 million for someone like John Collins, like with a pick attached or two, can you do that? Is it just Wiseman and Hayes? Um, they've got some stuff to figure out here. And it's really interesting because Wiseman Hayes, uh, Killian Hayes and Isaiah Stewart are all on one year deals and are extension eligible, eligible as well. So they could trade them to a team and that team could sign them to that extension and get that taken care of, or they could get that look year kind of like we talked about Darius Baisley. But I just think there's a lot of room for movement here. If they decide and they look at their projections and kind of say, okay, instead of building it up now, maybe we we take another year all of of the Cardinals. They could trade Bogdanovich this year, this offseason. They'll have a lot of suitors for him. I think Monty will want to keep him, obviously, but maybe that's best with their trajectory. They also have over $30 million in cap space, Kevin. And do you know of any good restricted free agents this year? I know of one off the top of my head that would be pretty interesting to them and would be the ideal player to put alongside Cade Cunningham, Jay Nivey, and Jalen Duran. His name is Cam Johnson. Monty Williams loves Cam Johnson. If I was a basketball coach in the NBA, Kevin, I would love Cam Johnson. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think that they are in a position to throw Cam $26 million a year and be like, okay, Brooklyn, match it. 
because they're in a position right now where they do have a top five pick coming up. But with that being said, their their talent accumulation should pretty much end this year. It should be okay. We've got these three guys, which is more than enough to become like a really, really great contender in a couple of years. And then we've got these accentuating pieces. And that's where you can get to the guy that they pick fifth in this year's draft. That's where you can get to any other talent that they can pick up right now. But I think Cam would be perfect because he could be a less experienced version of Jay for them where I've been to the finals. I've learned how to win fast and under this coach. I know exactly how to play in his system better than anyone, like actually better than anyone. Cause that's the thing I said about Cam over and over again is that he knows how to win. So for me, I think there are avenues there where all of a sudden you could have like a starting five, of those three guys, John Collins and, and Cam Johnson, and win 35, 36 games next year and kind of start to uh, make some noise. Are you as optimistic about them as me? Because I, I just really like how everything could come together for them. And, and to be clear, mainly has to do with those three guys. I think they're all great. Yeah, I'm not as optimistic, I don't think. I th- I think it's realistic that you sign Cam Johnson, you, you, f- you could even trade. That's the thing. I don't know how easily it is to trade Wiseman um, and Bagley both around 12 million, like you said, um, just like, especially Bagley's kind of topped out injury issues too. Boyanovich, man. Um, I, I would keep him because he's going to give you points. He's going to do vet things that Monty loves. And if you have him and, and like the cam Johnson scenario, like that would be an awesome front court that would cause problems just spacing the floor. Both of those guys don't get enough credit for how much more they have in their game. Um, They're beyond shooters. Um, I think my, I guess my limitations beyond that are okay. Depth. Alec Burks, good player. Do you trade his 10 mil contract or is it a guy you keep just because he's like a, a good sixth, seventh man for that level of team? I don't know if I'm all in on Cade. Um, I mean, you look at his numbers and actually, like you said, not to compare, but they're not terribly worse than book, but I have, I wonder about his scoring ability and that's less of an issue with him because he is more of a playmaker. Um, And, and then you have Jaden Ivey, who I think in my mind, I still think can be the best player of those two guys. Um, so I, I guess I'm there with the optimism, but again, it's so far from like, w- remember like James Jones is, that was his first off season. And it was like, he had these things. He just fired off three deals in a row on draft day. And it was like suddenly within 24 hours became, I don't know if he can pull this off to, Oh, this guy knows what he's doing. This, this plan is very well orchestrated. I just got to see that. And like Troy Weaver has a good rep. Um, and he obviously, I think he crossed over in OKC with Monty, if I'm yeah. correct. Yeah. So, so like the working relationship should be there and they should have the same values and at least know what their values are. So I don't know. It, it's really interesting. But again, the legwork really begins, I guess, today, next few days. And there's a lot to do, but you love the pieces. I, I as much as I wonder about Cade's like scoring upside, I still think he's going to be a really good player. Um, already spoke on Ivy. Duran's going to be good. Um, they they have pieces to to start from. It's not just nothing like that record would have showed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, Cade, I think that he is Shea. And what I mean by that is 
he's clearly going to be a top 10, 15 player pretty soon here. It's just a matter of when that jump kind of comes for him. And I think that Shea was someone who had less obvious upside to that point. And what I mean by that is I think everyone agreed Shea was really, really good, but could he be a top 10 player in the league? Could he make first team all NBA? I don't know if everyone would would have gone that far and I wouldn't have gone that far, but I'll go that far with Kane. I am a hundred percent a believer in him and I was not as high on him going into that draft. We talked about it briefly on the pod a couple of years ago. Like I'm sure there are receipts where I'm lower on Cade than most. And I would agree with that, but he won me over with what I saw in his rookie year, especially. Um, I think that he's really special. And from everything that I'm reading about Ivy and Duran, it just seems like they took the steps forward. I've always loved Ivy. And from what I saw with Duran, I really liked as well. Something I'll point out, Kevin, you, you made the note on Wiseman. What I was reading from Edwards is uh, they love Wiseman. They thought Wiseman was the best prospect in his class, and that's part of the reason why they made that trade with Sadiq Bey. So I don't know why it would make sense that they've got to get rid of one of the centers, and it feels like Wiseman is the worst one. Uh, they've got Durin on his rookie contract, and then they've got Isaiah Stewart, who at times looked like a starting center in the league in the future. Uh, and then James Wiseman, who are both have one year salaries left on their deals, and then they go into restricted free agency next summer. Again, there's extension eligibility there to factor in, but you obviously can't have three centers. And and like those guys aren't playing the four. Like none of those guys really are in that mold of a four. I think that's more of Marvin Bagley. Expect to see Monty playing a lot of him at the four if he does hang around. But yeah, it's just a matter of can you get enough vets in that are the right guys? They have Alec Burks on a $10.4 million team option. I don't know if that's too expensive for him or it's right, but it feels like the kind of vet that Monty would want. Corey Joseph's an unrestricted free agent for them. That feels like another vet that Monty would want to bring back. It's kind of weird how you look at this team. Kevin, you're like, oh, Jay Crowder would be perfect for these guys. <laughs> like they would be able to get him cheap. He could come in, maybe he comes off the bench, maybe he starts. But of course there's a thing there, the history with Monty where it kind of runs into uh certain situations but yeah it's it's a, it's a very fascinating situation and i can understand why money took it and i just think there's a ton of potential there to where i i think them and orlando both are two teams in the east where i'm really looking at them in the next two to three years to to make the okc-esque like oh these guys are coming like like memphis two years ago or three years ago like these guys are coming i think that's going to be we're going to be hearing a lot of that about orlando and detroit um in the next two years or so but yeah I, it's fascinating because they could do a, a myriad of things but you th- that's a really good point on james because he made it look so easy it's like yeah dump tj dump josh here's dario here's cam got it done signed ricky it's easy it's not that easy and uh, weaver's been okay to me I, you know, I know he has a good rep but he's he's been trying over there he's been trying i'll give him that and he's been trying with centers mainly which has been the weird thing yeah. every, everyone was like oh that was like a weird thing where he just signed a couple centers in free agency and then he trades for james weissman when he has jalen turret and isaiah stewart it's like okay and, and also like sadiq i i was a huge i've been a sadiq bay person since he was coming out of villanova so i was like i don't understand what you're doing dude i know you have like ah never mind anyway I won't go down that road. I didn't get, I didn't like that trade. I'll just say that. I did not Uh, We've got the Denver Nuggets and the Miami heat. I think that Denver has clearly proven themselves to be the best team in the league at this point. And I think that there is a, there was a consensus. I think a couple of days ago, especially once Boston turned this into a seven game series against Miami, where Denver is going to beat them in four or five. But 
the more you look at this series and I listened to the Dunker Spot preview, I listened to Zach Lowe's preview, I was surprised to see that there is a pretty big consensus here from at least the quote-unquote experts from the media at least where, yeah, like maybe it goes six, maybe it really goes seven. And I'll I'll say my pick off the jump. I've got Nuggets in seven. I think this is going to be a really competitive tight series. And I say that not overlooking Denver because Denver's whole thing is we've been overlooked and this is not overlooking them. It's just more that I think the heat are still getting underrated. I think that they are way better than people think they are. I think a lot of their supporting cast has proven themselves time after time. Like I think on paper a month ago, Kevin, you would have looked at um, looking outside of Jokic, Murray, Adebayo and Jimmy, you would have looked at Gordon, MPJ, Bruce Brown, KCP, uh, Jeff Green, and so on against guys like Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, Hero coming back uh, game two, maybe. It seems like game three is a, is a good lock. Duncan Robinson, uh, Kyle Lowry, and you would have said like, oh, Denver's got the best supporting cast by a mile. I don't know. Like Miami's guys are just nails. And the biggest thing for me, Kevin, in this series, let me know if you agree is, I just think that in this kind of situation, when you are definitively the worst, te- the, the, the worst team of the two, and are definitively the underdog that you would be, it's easy to get rattled at this kind of stage. Like I think Bucks Suns is a good comparison, but in in this little facet, both those teams, it was kind of 50, 50 for who was going to win that series. I think the nuggets are closing at like minus 400 or something. They are definitive favorites in Vegas. I don't think the Heat care. And I think the Heat are going to use that as motivation. I know it's a really cliche thing to say, but I think it actually matters for them. And if we learn anything from those Boston games, even in the comebacks, like they just don't get rattled. And I think that's really going to matter, especially in a series where they start at home, they start on the road against the team that's undefeated at home for the last three months. I just wonder how much the layoff matters for Denver and I think that's a big deal just because I think when you play every other day, you have momentum. And once they got those two bad games out of their system against the Suns, like they played very consistently. Um, if they come out and play like looking like the same team in game one, I think I'm going to say Nuggets and six. Um, I'm going to say Nuggets and six anyway, I guess. But if they slip in game one and just aren't, you know, aren't engaged because like you've had that long of a layoff. I, I believe that could happen. Um, then this is going to be more interesting because like you said, Miami has done it. Um, they do not change who they are. They're going to provide some new things that Denver hasn't really seen in any of these playoff series. So I, I don't know if his Andy Glockner who used to be, I believe at sports illustrated or some other Denver oriented person, but was basically like, look, Denver hasn't faced a team that could basically like shoot its way out of a hole or just space you out like Miami can with yeah. Duncan and when and if Hero can come back and that kind of thing. The Suns were not that team. The Lakers were certainly not that team. T Wolves were not that team. Um, it's something new. And again, like the Suns won on Denver's rotations, just got all wacky um and landry shamit had his like best game as the suns against them in a, in the huge playoff battle because um they can get off kilter and they don't make the crispest rotations and they sacrifice something to shut down a player and then leave a really good shooter open so 
I, I think that could come into play, but I'm still very much on team Denver when it comes to like, they have not gotten uh, enough attention, credit, whatever you want to call it. Like everyone's talking about, Oh, they rolled past a bunch of play in teams in a Suns team that didn't really have cohesion. I, I think the Suns were not terrible. Like I, that's why I didn't understand the Monty Williams move. I don't think they just absolutely foundered. I think they hit a really good team and Jokic has gone through three centers who were picks number one in an <laughs> yeah, NBA draft. Crazy. Like, he just rolled th- and like to it, like DA. AD was playing what- like the best player in the world. AD, like his version of that. Yeah. And then Jokic rolled him up, rolled him up. It's and crazy. He was he was running pat like I get it like D and DA get too much flack probably for effort or whatever engagement not taking over not being the man all that crap. But like Jokic is really good man like he was racing down with the ball he's a center he was bowling through them. I love Bam like you do but he's going to look exactly the same as these two guys. Like if Bam just plays him straight up and somehow Jokic suddenly averages 23 or less points per game, I'm going to be super surprised. I mean, that's where I am with this guy. So if I guess I'm just going off, who's the best player in this whole thing. Um, but also Jamal Murray's averaged like 27 points and has been awesome. So I, I just think they have a little too much firepower. They showed competency in stopping enough um of you know the Suns, lebron like making role players beat them and i i think they can do that against miami and be okay um hero coming back i actually think is going to be helpful for the, in that regard because i think you can just stick aaron gordon on jimmy and not worry about things you can put bam and maybe throw a, a double or two or front Jokic and switch things up and they'll be fine but just there's a little too much firepower um, on Denver's end, and I think I think Jamal Murray that's that's where it's going to be a difference maker. Yeah, I, th- I think the narrative around Hero that they didn't miss him is true, but they need him for this series. I think it's nonsense to suggest that he's going to be like a positive for Denver or whatever. I think he's going to be a difference because it was key that you point out the defensive matchups there because that's where it can get tight for him. But he's not really going to have to guard anyone that's too much of a perimeter threat. That's the thing about Denver is they don't have a ton of ball handlers and they just need his shooting, let alone his scoring off the dribble. And something, one of the crazier stats, Kevin, is the heater shooting 39% from three in the playoffs this year. And that sounds like a really good number, but not something that is like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But when you look at their team, they have seven of their rotation players who have been playing consistently who, who shoot threes. And their lowest percentage guy is Kyle Lowry at 35.5%. Butler is right above him at 35.6. Struess is at 35.9. Love 36.8. And then we start to get into the really good ama- to amazing category. Vincent, 39. 43.8 for Caleb Martin. 44.6 for Duncan Robinson. So they've got shooting everywhere. And remember, the Suns just had to be like, we have to play Terrence Ross because we just we need more shooting out there against these guys and how they're and this is to give credit to how good Denver has been defensively, but the Lakers are not, were not a good three point shooting team this postseason. They shot 33.5% from three. They did not have enough shooting enough capable supporting cast members out there to make them pay something. Steve Jones pointed out uh, 
on both of those podcasts I thought was really sad and made me feel even better about my uh, Miami optimism is that Miami has been crushing teams that have been going under screens or dropping or just allowing their shooters to step into, in, into pull up threes and pull up jumpers. And that's where hero could have a big role in the series. That's where I think Caleb Martin and Victor Oladipo or sorry, Caleb Martin and uh, Gabe Vincent could have big roles in this series. And something that uh, Zach Lowe pointed out as well is like, you can run those kinds of actions, but then let's say Jokic is going to be in more of a drop. Okay. Here's a dribble handoff for you with Duncan Robinson after the pick and roll. Now Jokic has to come up or it's an open three for Duncan Robinson. And so there are ways in which they can capitalize on this in multiple fronts while also wearing out Jokic because Jokic prefers to play up. It's more work for him, but he prefers to play up and hedge. But if you play up and hedge, Bam is the best playmaker by far of all of those types of centers, which is why I think that Bam is the X factor in the series, not because of the Jokic matchup specifically, but what he can do offensively against the way that Jokic is going to play defensively, because I think his playmaking could force Jokic to do more work. And then I think on defense, it's more interesting if Miami can schematically, and this is again, part of my optimism is that Spo has so many uh, tricks up his sleeve and he has a team that is so good at instantly switching schemes. It's less about their zone. I think their zone got too much coverage and, and has gotten too much coverage coming into the finals. I don't think they're going to play much of it. And, and the guys who know far more than me, um, like Joe, uh, Steve Jones and the guys Duncan, they both kind of were, were there as well, um, which backs up my confidence and we're not going to see it much, but they're going to throw a lot of different things at Jokic. And I think what they could do is, and I know this isn't an encouraging sense after what we just talked about, Kevin, but they could start Kevin Love and they could start Kevin Love on him, throw hard doubles at him, scramble off of him, throw a couple of different looks at him in the first two games to at least see and kind of figure out what works, what doesn't. So, you can keep Bam on the other side recovering and Bam can do all those kinds of recoveries. Bam with his offensive uh, lack of aggression, which is the number one key for me in the entire series has been incredible everywhere else. He has been amazing defensively. Like in that Celtics series, I just kept wanting to tweet every time Bam had this three play stretch defensively. Cause he was incredible. He was so freaking good. So I'm, I'm just really high on the things that Miami can do. I think that Jimmy and his health and just his consistency and his, the lack of aggression from Jimmy and Bam towards the end of the series offensively, that just has to change in the finals. I think that it will, but ultimately I think that Denver's home court and just the form that Jokic is in is, is too strong, but just the more I looked at schematic stuff and, and hearing those guys talk about it on those pods, the more that I felt confident in my, initial feeling on the series which was that Miami will make it tight and that's why I go towards um Denver and seven more so than Denver and five but Kevin nothing would surprise you in the series right except like a Miami sweep like I, I told someone like even if Miami wins in five I wouldn't be surprised because these games are going to be so close I think yeah and that's where it comes down to again shot making and I guess that's why I like Jamal Murray in this series um no offense to Miami's dudes but they're they really did stretch the bench. Like, does Cody Zeller get in the series? Um, it's between him and Kevin Love. I think you kind of have to throw big bodies at Jokic to hopefully get him tired. Um, like, Bam can play 48 minutes maybe and outrun him and, and just try to gas him, I guess. But then you're, I, I don't know if, like, straight overpowering someone or getting someone tired, I guess, is the right move. I don't know. I, I That's why, again, you look at the guys on this roster, tough shot making, like, yeah, they can shoot, but, like, Hero's a big deal in this, and that's where it, it could even out. And 
I, I guess you st- stick Bruce Bowen on Bruce Brown. Sorry, not Bowen, because that would be uh, worse. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's really even, but I just I don't want to put down Denver. I guess, and as much as I should prop up Miami, I'm still like. How far can grit take you? Apparently this far. So what do I know? Against the best team in the world kind of is what you're saying, right? Like it's at a certain point, you're just playing the best. And that's what Denver is. They're the best team in the world right now. But I think that Miami could still beat them. I think that they could still beat them. Uh, Kevin, a lot of what I talked about there, and I know people were talking to their their podcast playing device, their car, uh, their phone, whatever it is, right? And I agree with what I'm about to say, which is, Let's say Miami progresses to the mean with shooting in a rather aggressive way, and they just shoot 34% from three this series. Let's say someone like Caleb Martin shoots 27% in this series. Duncan Robinson's only at 36, even though he's a phenomenal shooter. Gabe Benson, who for his career has been more of a low 30s three guy, let's say he goes down there a bit. And then let's say that Bam is a lot more tentative offensively, which we've seen be a problem for him over the course of his career, then the Nuggets could sweep him. So like it's it's very... I think that it's very fragile, the case for Miami, whereas Denver's case is like just a lot more about, it's a lot more sturdy in how Miami can break it down. But I see like the arsenal and tools to do it. And I think that Spo is a definitively better coach in a playoff series than Malone is, in my opinion. Like I'm, I think Malone is one of the best coaches in the league, but in terms of mid-series adjustments, all that kind of stuff, I think that he's pretty good. But Spo is the best. He's the best coach in the league. And it's not only the fact that he makes these adjustments, it's the fact that he has coached a team and gotten his team into a point where he can run seven different defenses in the first 18 minutes of a game, and it'll look fine. Like that zone, the crazy thing about that zone, Kevin, when they were playing it is once it broke down, it looked great because their scramble and recovery stuff was excellent. Like they're just, they're locked in, man. Like they just, they have so much energy still. And that was a big thing for me too, is watching game seven. I don't know how you felt, but yeah, they, they look tired. Like you would expect players in the conference finals to look at that point. But I thought that their energy looked okay. Uh, Bam. It, it's more about Jimmy just having enough time with his ankle, right? Cause we, we still suspect there's something wrong there, Kevin. Yeah. I mean the, to your point about the energy, like, I think we've watched enough playoff basketball the last few years. You see it in whether it's injuries, it's happened to the Suns a lot. You saw it with Tatum getting hurt and just there wasn't enough juice from Jalen Brown and the other guys. Um, You get exposed in the postseason and it it kind of just, you're done at some point. And we didn't see that at all in game seven. I mean, on the heat's end anyway. I mean, that's, that's all Spo. That's, like just kind of their identity where they love those moments and they just put aside how tired they are and say, Oh, I love being tired. I love being blowing three games in a row and coming into this. Like that's how they're built. And I just don't, I don't know if that's enough. If nuggets come out playing like they've played the last six or whatever games. I mean, that's just a lot to ask from that team, but, uh, yeah, I'm not going to go away from your suppose the best coach in the NBA thing because that dude, I, I just think that guy gets so much out of this roster. Like, look at the roster. Let me pull up the roster. If money's worth tw- before you go there, if yeah. money's worth twelve million a year, how much a year is Spo worth? Thirty. 
Yeah. <laughs> 20. It's going to get problematic very quickly. <laughs> Pat Riley, you're going to have to. Yeah, but like, look at their roster. Yeah, Dave this what? Undrafted. Max Truce, undrafted. Haywood Highsmith. I have to go double check. Wheeling Jesuit, undrafted. I believe you're undrafted if you go there. That's just like a rule of the universe. Haywood is undrafted. Caleb Martin was, I think, undrafted and then waived by the Hornets. Whoops. One of the worst teams in basketball. Oh! Uh, yeah, I mean, those are the the main undrafted. So those are the guys in that rotation. Um, Kyle Lowry even had some juice in that game seven. I mean, that's what they're working with. So that I guess that feeds into your culture. Jimmy Butler obviously um, has his long history of he wasn't supposed to do this. Um, yeah, I mean, that that roster is just built for Spo, Video room Spo, who has gone a long way in his career. Uh, the I had to look this up the other day, and I was like, man, like it, the, the Spo resume and everything. Uh, they made the finals in the bubble. They lost there. They lost in the Eastern Conference finals last year. Now they're in the finals again. Like, they have been arguably the most successful team in the NBA the last four years, the Miami heat. And I, I don't think people talk about them in that kind of way to give them their respect as well. I, uh, you got to go, you have your shift to wrap up here in like 30 minutes. I could sit here and talk about the series for another hour. I love this series. I love how much it is just about basketball. And it just feels like such a, a basketball beeping series to me where yeah. it's just going to be excellent basketball with a ton of like wrinkles and intricacies, but also just a lot of players where, I'm really excited that someone who's a casual sports fan is going to see like Caleb Martin this year. You know what I mean? Like, I'm really excited that Gabe Vincent and Bruce Brown and even guys like Jokic, like there are probably, there are going to be a lot of people watching these games who have not seen Jokic this year and they get to see him. Like, that's what I've always loved about the finals. And that's how I compare it to Suns Bucks is like a lot of people didn't get to see that Suns team during the year. And then they got, and they got to see it. And I feel that way about this series as well. Here I go. I could go for another hour uh, again. Will the I'll play the Jay Crowder game. Kevin, will the Suns have a head coach the next time we podcast? Uh, uh, we'll commit no. to. Do you do you want to commit to next week anyway? We can kind of retouch on finals and update again. Yeah, we'll 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 pop back soon. Like we we'll, we might even feel like it in the middle of this series. Yeah. All right, I feel good about that. Uh, the coach, yes or no? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, I think it breaks late this weekend uh, or on Monday. And then by like Wednesday, we're we're through the news cycle, basically. How much of this is factored into the fact that I have vacation days put in for Monday and Tuesday? A lot. It's just a lot of personal animosity towards the situation in general. (laughs) Put it in the universe. Putting it in the universe so it doesn't happen. Trying to jinx myself, basically. Uh, all right, everyone. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks a lot if you're listening to this point. We really appreciate it. As you can tell, we love basketball, and we love that you love basketball for listening this long. We'll be back next week to talk about more basketball. Yay. Bye, everyone. <laughs>